We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. points closing in on top four and everybody accusing us of cheating the good times are back my friends this is the arsenal vision post-match podcast my name is alex smith you can block me on twitter yankee gunner second time i've had to do that intro for technical reasons that you don't have to know about but i feel i reproduced it pretty well a fine simulacrum of the first effort and i will tell you it does feel like the good times are back three more points two weeks to celebrate it we are going to put out i think the technical term here i have written down is a buttload of content around um arsenal's upturn in fortunes And with Liverpool losing at the weekend, you might have thought, oh no, bad result because West Ham won. No, no, my friends. The title is on. Let's keep our eyes on the prize here. Title season is on. And, you know, I I love it. It it just feels, there's a nostalgia of this about, you know, some jammy little club down the bottom of the table. Something about bollocks I remember about them. I don't know. Um, Accusing us of, of not being nice enough. We didn't put the ball out when they faked injury when we scored. And it's brilliant, and I love it. And I see a lot of Arsenal fans trying to make the counter-argument. Well, Sar wasn't really injured, so we had a right to play on. No, 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 no. Lean into it. Yeah, we were bastards. Well, we cheated, you guys. Definitely, definitely. I mean, you only came to kick us off the park. But, you know, yeah, we cheated, you guys. I love it. I love every bit of it. And it only makes the win sweeter for me. I have to admit, a game I really enjoyed. I went on to the Instant Reaction podcast for patrons with Clive and Paul, and like their just natural negativity was coming through. They really tried to bring me down, but couldn't. Couldn't bring me down. And I do want to say thanks to everyone who bared with me through Thursday's weird pod as a, you know, I, I, I suffered through what sometimes you might call the man flu, you know, when you just say, oh, boo-hoo, I don't feel well. But it turns out it's pneumonia. That's right. Full bout of pneumonia. And let me tell you, you don't want it. It's no fun. But I am on the mend, and I'm happy to be here with Clive. You can find him on Twitter, Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. And Tim, you can find him on Twitter, Mr. Hello, Tim. Hello there. And Paul, you can find him on Twitter, Pause my pencil, pause. I think I preferred you when you were sick. Really? <laughs> yeah. just, so, this, this, this is a lot of Elliot. It is a lot of Elliot. It's a lot of me. It is a lot of me. Um, you know, I, I had to go into the hospital and, and wear one of those gowns. And my wife said, you know, the, the ones that tie in the back? Yeah, my wife said the same thing. Said it's a lot of you that I'm seeing right now. So <laughs> you're getting you're getting a sim an audio version of what she got from a visual standpoint. Nice. Okay, that's um that's now seared in all of your consciousnesses. Me in a hospital gown. So sorry for that. But 
there is genuine, exciting stuff to get to. Now, look, Josh Kroenke gave an interview uh, before this game. I think it's interesting. I think it is absolutely a topic worth discussing. Given, let's just say it, the frankly extravagant length of our podcasts, I imagine we'll have enough on the game that you don't need us to get into that today. And since it is an interlull, we will get into that tomorrow. Tim, just real quick, I'm going to run your interview tomorrow. Do you Mm -hmm. want to give a quick teaser for it? It'll be a bonus episode on the main feed, so everyone will get it, but uh, a really good interview that you did, and and maybe you can just sort of preface what people will be hearing. Yeah, sure. So I interviewed Gabriel Clark, who is the main director of the Arsene Wenger documentary that is out this week, I believe, and um, got a little got a little look at the documentary. So I, I asked Gabriel just about how it all came together, um, the process and everything, how open Arsene was, how he got some pretty stellar guests on there, including the likes of Thierry Henry, Patrick Vieira, Robert Perez and Sir Alex Ferguson. Um, yeah, and and just had like a good twenty minutes with Gabriel about where where this all came from, how it was put together, um, and how he got Arson to talk about certain things that I've not really heard him talk about before, and, and actually I think admit some culpability um, ab- about things that happened uh, in the last few years of his reign, which I thought was really interesting. But really interesting documentary, thought is really really well done, and I have a good twenty minute chin wag with Gabriel about it. A good, uh, a good documentary, good film. And I, I think it's fair to say, Tim, maybe a nice uh, relief from or, or contrast to a book that I think people felt was too guarded and not revealing enough. That while this is nostalgic and fun in some ways, it addresses some things that are maybe just a little sharper edges for Arson and for the fan base than maybe the autobiography. Would you say that's fair? 100%. And I think having like a couple of directors um, to, you know, the, there's uh, another guy involved that Arsene knows very, very well. And Gabriel kind of knew him a bit from reporting on him over the years. But I think having other people in charge of it um, definitely led to that. Whereas the, my understanding of the book is it was very much Arsene's book. Um, and there wasn't really that push for some of the, uh, some of the juicier detail. But I, I think there really is in this documentary. Yeah, well, well done with the interview. And look, I know everyone listening already heard Andrew's interview with him on the Arscast. That does not uh, relieve you of your duty to listen to ours because Tim did a brilliant job and we love and support Tim. So please love and support Tim by listening to that tomorrow. But for today, it's all about beating Watford. Clive, I know you hated the performance, hated the game, um, as I heard on the Instant Reaction Pod. I'm going to try to tease some positivity out of you if possible. I kid, but I don't kid. I really liked this game and I think I liked it because I saw us do a thing that I really wanted to see us do, which is just dominate territory more, push a team back more, You know, be able to take advantage of a, a team that doesn't want to have the ball. Now, to be fair, because they didn't want to have the ball, maybe some of that was just us being able to do what they were letting us do. But I thought right off the bat, again, the the distances were better, the spacing was better, and the, the attacking intent was good. There's a chance, you know, right early on. Um, we obviously have the early sack of goal that sort of unfortunately ruled out. But I'm curious... You know, in in sort of the opening period where I really felt we had them pushed back, did you see that as a, a sort of evolutionary step forward in terms of our ability to control possession and territory or more of a, a reflection of styles? I think it's more a reflection of, of where we are. Mm-hmm. I think we're getting better. We've had them since last international break. We've uh, garnered the most points of anybody in the league. So we are the form team in the league. So people eventually are going to stop trying to play us and, and step away. Well, Watford certainly tried to do that. 
I think that forced us into a different shape and to, into a different way of playing and different problems. And at the moment, well, recently, we've been able to get through to Lacazette and, and go from there and build up there nicely. All our defenders are decent on the ball, so it doesn't matter which one's got it. We can switch to play. We can move it left foot, right foot. And we can carry it in between lines, and we've done that in recent weeks, to get it through to Lacazette. And from there, we bounce around and then go second phase into the final third. And I felt Watford did a decent job of um, forcing us to the exterior. So with my eye, I, I was thinking, well, okay, we're back to the wide triangles again and wide diamonds with Lacazette out on the right, Nuno high on the left, Saka high on the right, and try to create those connections in those wide areas with Smith around the left also. So, And then we've made the Niles tucking in left back. This is back to a shape that we've seen before. And when it doesn't work, we, we don't like it. But I think Watford forced us into this. and But the difference between this game and previous games is I think we got more people on the pitch to solve the problems. And I think Ben White is a great example of that. When teams are not are trying to block your passing lanes but offer you space to run through, then he ran through it. And I think that forces people to commit. And we all know that once you commit to the guy on the ball, you can pop it off and go from there. So I think this is there's an evolution of Arsenal happening as we get better. And as we get better, teams are going to expose maybe weaknesses that we have. Weaknesses maybe in the box, weaknesses in what we do and when we have our, our preferred style of play actually countered. And I think, I use the word counter, and I think that is us. I still feel we're a transition team. And the goal was caused on a counter-press transition, wasn't it? I mm-hmm. think sometimes you have to actually tweet this out. Arsenal sometimes need to give the ball away to get it back. And I still feel that's that's who we are. And when, yeah. and when teams actually drop away, we're going to be discussing the next phase of Arsenal. And and I did feel, and I was talking to Andrew during the game, I did feel this was a scalpel day, Tim. This was a scalpel day developing where Odegaard needed to come on and do some stuff. And it just goes to show, we have, we have the answers in the squad and every game won't be the same. And I think this was an interesting preview to how some of the lower teams are going to play us going forward. Mm. Yeah, you know, it, it, the funny thing is, right, like I I think what what's so different though, you know, there were days in the past where we might have sterile domination as we might have called games like this a little bit. I don't think it was as much as some people. But there was that glass jaw in the background. So you'd, you'd have the ball and you'd be passing it around the horseshoe, but there was that feeling that the sucker punch was coming. You'd give it away, and immediately the other team would look dangerous with two passes. And I think the difference is, I don't mind us playing this way because the the glass jaw doesn't feel like it's there. I never felt that Watford were going to hurt us going the other direction. Now, all right, set the last, that that sort of 20-minute period after we scored aside where we did the thing we do where we kind of maybe get a little more passive than we need to be. Just, just put that aside for a minute. I think in the initial you know half, the way we dominated the game reflected not just a better ability to keep the ball and be dangerous, but to not have that glass jaw in the other direction. And, you know, I I think it is really worth pointing out that referees play a role in a game in terms of what they allow the other team to do defensively. Watford used rotational fouling in this game, and uh, teams will do it, and you can't moan about it, but the referee can make a big difference. At one point, Watford had 12 fouls to R2, and we both had two yellow cards. To put that in perspective... Watford's 12 fouls in the first half were one off the most we'd been fouled in any game this season. They came to kick us, and 
And I think Kevin Friend let them get away with that. There were some really good performances in here that we can get to and some really good moments. But Paul, one of the things that I think is so encouraging about this game in a forward-looking way is look at that starting midfield. Ainsley Maitland-Niles and Albert Sambi Lakanga. And we didn't lose anything, in my view. We didn't look diminished there. We had the ball recovery from Maitland-Niles and the carrying. We had Sambi, you know, working as the hub. This was his game to be the party replacement as opposed to the Shackle replacement, and I thought it suited him better. And it's interesting. I think a lot of people felt that Maitland-Niles had the better game. I think he had the more robust game. But if you look at it, Maitland-Niles completed half the passes Sambi did. So it was clearly a, a a passing hub and more of a carrier and and coverer. And, and the pairing worked really well. And given with the AFCON coming up and the situation we could have there, I think this was really encouraging. So do you have sort of a, a thought, maybe preliminarily, just on the, the presence of that central midfield specifically and how encouraging it is to see those two players step right in without us really missing a beat? Uh, yeah, I think you you framed it right. This was kind of the party Chaka arrangement, but with Lakanga as the central, the hub. Can I ask uh, you a question about that? Yeah. Just from re- recollection, is this, in your mind, the first time this season Sambi's had that role, the 1A instead of the 1B? Because I think it is, right? Didn't they play together against Leeds, maybe? Mm, yeah, I can look. I can look back. I want to yeah. think. I want to think Wimbledon. I don't know why it comes to mind. But, um, Wimbledon. I think, but I'm not sure. I think they've had an outing together, but it, it's certainly in the Premier League. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, I mean, while this may not have been an incredible performance from Lakanga compared to other games he's had, I think we need to remember that this was the first, really, the first time at this level he's kind of had that starring role, um, and with basically a new partner, Maitland-Niles, doing the Chaka thing, dropping in, covering Nuno as he goes forward, uh, dropping into, like, left back to make sure Saar is covered, um, and generally being the kind of the support to Lukanga. I thought, like, I don't I haven't associated Maitland-Niles with, like, clever passing, Mm-hmm. Um, in recent times, I did in the past, but when I uh, when we saw him on loan, he was a very functional midfielder, um, <clears throat> I guess for West Brom, and for us, he he had become very functional as a fullback. He was defensively very strong, and he was good running forward, but didn't do much in the final third. And I thought actually he started to show some of his cleverness and range of passing in this game as as the auxiliary midfielder here. Um, and so it was like he was pretty close to my man of the match. He was my stock rising for for the game because because he's really established himself as a potential factor and solution for Afcon if if Chak isn't back in time and isn't fully fit. I mean, I think it's just the two Premier League games and maybe a couple of cup games if we're we're still in all the cups, uh, Carabao and, and and the FA Cup, etc. But, you know, that could be a key partnership we need to rely on. Uh, as Roy Keane might say, party likes a niggle. Um, so occasionally he'll have a little time out and Chaka might take a little time to get back to full fitness. Uh, I guess there's always the possibility he's not quite the same afterwards knee-wise, but I think he probably will be. Um, so Maitland-Niles' role could be quite important. I thought that we're both very good now. It, the context is... 
Watford backing off us and kind of leaving us the final third and mid third so they could build reasonably comfortably. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought they did a very credible job and it, it does make it very difficult getting into the final third. And I think they were both fairly clever in terms of how they played into the final third. Maitland-Niles had some eye-catching, clever little passes. Um, so I thought it was very, very credible performance. We want to see them to test them against other opposition, but uh, that was one of the most encouraging aspects of the performance, yeah. Yeah, and I, I just like I just think in general, um, you know, midfield is is a part of the pitch that we might have had some anxiety about going into this season, and especially it's nice that our fallback isn't Del Nenny, right? Um, yeah, and and by the way, he came on and I think helped us shore up a game that maybe we were losing a little control of. So I think he deserves some credit for that. But yes, like the. The, the transformation with Maitland-Niles this season is really remarkable because I always felt, you know, one of my arguments for selling him is whether you like Maitland-Niles or not, having a fourth right back is not worth whatever we could get for him. I didn't really think he was in the frame as a midfielder except in sort of emergency situations. And I think now he is a sort of first sub midfielder potential and, and a starting potential and during AFCON will certainly get a lot of starts. So credit to him getting his head down. Arteta said some really nice things about him um, after the match and the work he's been doing. And I think it was important, like you get these very pat compliments, but this was very specific about him, that he he was uh, being very very clever, head down, paying attention, asking asking questions, trying to understand, like a kind of a he's buying in right now. Now, who knows what the future may be? Uh, He talked about body language, which you know, people can feel what they like about body language, but I think it tells you a hell of a lot. And it always told me a hell of a lot with Maitland-Niles when he was on it and when he wasn't. Mm. Um, and I found that very, very encouraging how he complimented him. He could have just said, you know, he's r- really been good and he's really helping out and he's he's showing enthusiasm. But this was very coaching specific. Um, and it was a follow-up question. It wasn't, it wasn't the first question. It was like somebody said, how is he improving? to Arteta so he went deeper on it I thought it was very interesting answer yeah yeah I agree uh Tim I'm I'm curious sort of firstly to get your general take on whether you thought this was sort of a cagey style domination type game or more in my court of thinking that we had the game more well in hand and we're threatening I mean it's worth remembering we have the ball in the back of the net early early like a chance in the first minute ball in the back of the net early um ruled out by an offside rightly ruled out but a little unlucky um we have a penalty that's saved and, you know, I mean, you will not see a more justified penalty. And I think you could even say a red card, Danny Rose, um, who looks like he is, um, if not expanding in talent is expanding just in terms of his presence, so to speak. Somebody said uh, he was a one man, three man wall. Yeah. Interesting <laughs> situation going on there. Um, it still pains me. Like the only highlight in Danny Rose's career is a screamer against us, but that's another story. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think there were dangerous, moments here. It didn't feel like sterile domination to me. So for you, in terms of an overall step in the progression, do you do you think you saw more out of the attack today and or today in, in this game that that reflects a continued upward trend? Yeah, I I definitely do. Um because as you know, as you pointed out, if this game had finished three nil, nobody would have batted an eyelid. Nobody would have said, oh my God, three they got a bit lucky for three nil. I think the XG was one point six five. 
mm. or something like that. So that shows you, I appreciate we missed a penalty, but you know, a penalty is a penalty. You earn a penalty. And oh, and you don't it, earn it a lot more than that. That's for yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. And when you score it, it's our goal. Um, so I know, by the way, know, we should point out, right, that I think Odegaard's shot won't be reflected in that yeah, because in the, the Aubameyang touches offside, right? So that's, exactly. That's so yep. mm-hmm. really, you're looking at, you know, I'm sure that that would have been up in the kind of zero point, you know, what, 0.4 kind of, I think you're looking at about 2xG there. Um, and, you know, look, <laughs> what the XG on it on that shot is doesn't really matter because if a Bamyang doesn't doesn't go for it, it goes in. Um, so yeah, this was really a two or three nil game that finished one nil. Um, I'm really struggling to think of anything Watford created. I think um, the point on the midfield, what what Watford have really started to do under Ranieri is kind of bypass midfield anyway. They go front to back much much more quickly now than they were um, under Munoz, their previous manager, who was much more of a pass-out-from-the-back kind of guy. With Ranieri, it's very much, particularly with Ben Foster in goal, who has got a bit of a bit of a boot on him. Um, they, they go front-to-back very quickly, and they try and counter-press from there. So it, it was a day where, where maybe the midfield would be bypassed, but at the same time, you know, Watford still counter-press, and that's where Maitland-Niles really... Uh, impressed me just the way he was able to turn away from some of that pressure um, and some of the coolness and you know the step overs and kind of getting away uh, from Watford players as they kind of came for those second balls that 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 was the most impressive part of his performance for me but yes I, I did look at this as a bit of a step forward I, I think maybe in the last kind of 10 minutes or so we probably took our foot off the gas more than than we should have. And you Can know, I ask you a question? Last sure. 10 minutes or the the 10 or 15 right after we scored? Because I thought we started to get maybe back on. It, it got a little bit yeah, back and forth true. and open in the last 10 minutes, I thought. Yeah, true. And actually, that is a bit of a pattern. Like against Villa, when we went 3-0 yeah. up, we kind of retreated. But then the last 10 minutes, and, and the same with Leicester, where, to be honest, we were pinned back. But once yeah. it got to about 70 minutes, we started picking up on the counter-attack again. Odegaard so. sub feels like important there because Lacazette definitely fades at the hour mark yeah Yeah, definitely and I kind of agree with um, Clive's analysis um, on on Lacazette and I'm not going to put these words into Clive's mouth they're they're my words but this felt like a game too far for Lacazette um, which is not like yeah which is not like and I suspected it might be before the game but that that's not like a criticism of him or Arteta really it's just we've played two games with that formation now and that means you know, teams know about it. Now it's not a surprise anymore. So this this is just the dance that happens, right? You deploy a new system. The first couple of games, no one knows what you're doing. Then they start to pick up data points. And then, you know, you, you maybe get a game where this happens and then, but then you react to those data points and you say, okay, well, Watford were doing this. So to avoid doing that, you know, it's just, that's just the dance. And I, I you know, I don't Can I say something about lack of point, Tim? I was sure. thinking about that a little bit. Like, uh, against Leicester and, and Villa, etc., they gave us more midfield to play yep. through. And so Laka dropping in made sense and joined the dots and then we got up the pitch. In this one, there was no point in Laka drop. There was nothing to drop into, you know what I mean? Mm. So yeah. he didn't have a chance to show off that side of it. I, uh, so I think he had a... It's a funny business. I, like, I sometimes wish you could play both players depending on the scenario. And like we needed Odegaard and Laka in this because without Laka, you lose. Well, you know what, Paul, that, that conversation's coming in this pod. So let's table that for a second. Cause there's a player who one player, just one, 
who might come in for some criticism in this podcast and may yeah. lead to a discussion of that. So let's, the, let's come though, back to I that. I think that's a slightly different one in that this specific role for Lanka, uh, I think it added a lot of it. If you go back and look at the good parts of our play, Lanka's all over it, even if he he didn't have the game we th- we associate with him. So I, I feel a strong affinity for Lanka's game in this particular yeah this particular match it's his quick thinking let's call it quick thinking on the goal um you know in terms of just like fuck off we're taking the throw in yeah um and he certainly he he adds a little bit of that he he adds like he's a grown-up right also his volley that leads to the disallowed goal which i thought was a clever well because he has another one tim yeah he's all over the place seriously when we do a rewatch on it laka has a a really it's a different game but it's a really good game doesn't yeah, he have one where fair. he slides into the right channel? The, the one yeah. thing that I, I really think has gone downhill with Locke, if, if anything has, is not getting his shot off quick enough. And there's one where mm. he gets into the right channel and takes an extra touch instead of hitting it, and it, it's there to be hit. So a- anyway, Tim, sorry, this has been a, a great segment for you to hear what Paul and I think. So <laughs> no, 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 that's that's absolutely fine. That's um, But yeah, in, in short, I do agree with you, Elliot. I, I think um, I'm, I'm maybe not as firm on it, quite as you but I did come away from that game thinking that this was a 3-0 that we won 1-0 mm, yeah and I think that we ultimately we have a striker issue we're going to resolve because Aubameyang and Lacazette both are going to be replaced by the future and the future is question mark we don't know we don't know yet but maybe that player will embody a little bit of what both of those players can do for us Instead of right now, I feel like we're solving one position with two players. If you follow what I'm saying, we're we're using Aubameyang and Lacazette to be one striker in a way. Um, and I, I think that that we can probably solve that with one player and then get Odegaard back in the lineup. And we'll see more of that, I think, going forward. Anyway, Clive, uh, I'll let let me just let you expand on that topic real quick, and then I want to get yeah. into a couple individual performances that I think m- could be overlooked if we're not careful. And I want to make sure they're not. But the you know, the role that Locke and Aubameyang are playing, look, we're, we're going to have to get into Aubameyang not having his best day and certainly not through a lack of effort. But, you know, I, I think Lacazette and Aubameyang as a two are keeping Odegaard out of the lineup right now. Games like this will certainly have, I think, Arteta scratching his head about maybe whether there's a Lacazette-Odegaard lineup that keeps Aubameyang out. Uh, but in general... You know, I, I I do think Tim hits on an interesting point about, you know, Lacazette's role in this game and and your point about it being a game too far for him. So how do you think that dynamic plays out in terms of Lacazette, Aubameyang, and then, you know, sort of Odegaard is the one who either comes back in at the expense of one of them or misses out for the time being? Yeah, I think Tim was talking about the dance. And what he's really mm-hmm. saying, uh, I think, is... Now put, uh, now put the words in his mouth. You, you well, guys just jam words in each other's mouth. Yeah, well, we, we think quite similarly a lot of the time. But, hey, look, things change on each game, right? So, so Lacazette's been brilliant the last couple of games. Can't repeat that for the whole year. No chance, right? He's running himself into the ground. Mm. And so that can't be repeated every single week. And um, so for me, he's been the spiritual leader of the team in the last sort of three games. And Ben White's been the tactical leader of the team. You know, he's been the he's been the technical leader, shall I say, tactical leader, maybe it's the same thing. And and Lacazette, I think, did try to adjust his position. And I think in the last game when against Leicester, I didn't notice so much that he was hanging right, creating space in the middle for those drilled Ramsdale passes out. And that was one thing. I felt this game, 
he was really, I spent a lot of time in lane five, and I thought it pushed Saka inside. I think Saka had his best game in a long time. And so I think they're trying to adjust him so people to follow him and to move people around, and I think they recognise that people started to zero in on him. So I think, although he only had a, I think it was a, you know, it wasn't a high passing game or a high touch game, I still think he was spiritually there at a time when Aubameyang wasn't there. And so his role is still important to me. Well, his influence is important. I think sometimes people need to need to separate the two. He can have a hugely influential game without playing well. If that makes sense. And I still think he's influential for this young team. And we need that old guy up there. That old guy with the dad-sized hands, you know, to do stuff, right? And move people around. And he definitely, he definitely did that in this game, even though I felt he was on the edge of his physic of his self physicality, shall I say, in the game. And I was yearning for Odegaard because it was a game where we need to switch the point of attack and move people around. Switch point attack over the block to the sides. And when Odegaard comes on, mate, everyone's in play. Everyone's in mm-hmm. play. His technique when he switches the ball is like, oh my God, look at that. You know, and he looked like he wanted to prove a point, which is great. We get yeah. that thing called competition again. We see what Nuno's done. Now Odegaard's come back in. Suddenly, he's thinking, I better do something here. He's flicking it around the corner. He's switching it. He's doing. Like, he's running around, tracking people down. He's saying, pick me, pick me. I can't miss this bus. I need to be on it. I spent years on the back of my backside playing for Real Madrid. I'm not missing this yep. bus as well. Yep. You know, so this is what happens when you get good people you know, competing against each other. So moving slightly on to the forward play, you're, you're right, Elliot, about we, we're playing two strikers. We're playing one plus one, really. And that's and the, and the dynamics of those individual player profiles means we play a different way. So when Lacquer plays, we have a different style. We can be a bit more physical, a bit more robust, a bit more bombastic in our tackles, shall we say. When Odegaard plays, it's a bit more touch, 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 switch, flick, touch, touch, change the point of the angle for the pass. And and I think Odegaard probably would have suited Watford a little bit more than Lacazette in hindsight, but they both they both played and got the result. But we all know the next phase of Arsenal's evolution is in the centre forward. Yeah. And yep. what that player looks like. And it's a debate. And I generally don't I think I've got an idea. But I'm not. I don't know if I'm right. Um, and at this moment in time, after the last six signings, I'm gonna. I'm. I'm rubbing my hands in glee, looking at what they're gonna do. What's who's it gonna be? And I got some ideas. We have got a couple of weeks to talk about this. <laughs> I got some ideas what a player could be and what it could look like. And and it is a combination of the of the two. But I do feel it needs to be a pivot player. I do think we have active, sprinty transition forwards. But the one thing we don't have, if you project forward in your mind, and Watford again, Watford are telling us what's going to come in the next few weeks and months if we keep improving, we are going to be forced into wide areas and then we're going to need a box presence. You know, that, that's the one thing we are not great at. So we are good at cutbacks, we're good at creating combinations, but if someone sits and gives us the sides and we have to cross, we haven't solved that yet. We've got people who can cross it and dink it and visit but we haven't got the people who are brave in the box, you know. And so again, we're gonna our weaknesses are gonna be uncovered, and the future, <laughs> the next, the next phase of Arsenal is is gonna be so interesting. Windows for me, another centre mid and a centre forward arrive, and we're gonna be we'll see the next phase of our development. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's so fun. 
exploring what the, the future could be and how this evolves from a position of feeling good about it. I feel like for the last couple of seasons, it was how do we unwind this mess? And it felt so tangled and opaque. And now that it feels more rejuvenated and, and encouraging, sort of dreaming about the next little pieces are a lot more enjoyable, if that makes sense. There was something really heavy and unpleasant about having to think of like, wow, we've got all these players we don't want who are old and expensive and you know we have to get rid of them and it's such a big rebuild and it feels so uh, unwieldy and challenging. And like we cannot praise the club and Edu and Arteta enough for the bold and courageous moves they made this summer to really accelerate a rebuild. Now look, you don't wind up praising them without having to point out the criticism that the club had gone many years putting sticking plasters on the problem, sure. But like we don't have to look back at that. We can simply say that finally we took our medicine. And you know what this is a great lesson about? It's a great lesson about that actually taking your medicine can make you healthy really quick. Maybe not in my case, but in the case of the club, because I don't think I will raise my hand and say, I liked the strategy of getting younger this summer. I had questions about some of the signings and was encouraged by others. But my feeling was White would take time to bet in. Ramsdale would be one for the future, maybe next season or later this season. Sam be one for the future. Tavares one for the future or more of a, a punt option that uh, Tomiyasu would be this season, obviously, you know, and, and on and on. And you look at Odegaard this season, but like, it hasn't been that way at all. And we're going into some games with all these guys starting and starting and playing well. And it just feels like a fresh arsenal. And so th- this whole discussion just has a lightness about it now that's been missing. And, you know, I said this on another podcast, but like it doesn't hurt when you look at the table and the situation's not bad. Fans want to be able to dream. You want to look at the table and dream of top four, sure. And yeah, you know what? We all laugh. Title, haha. I mean, no, it's not a title season probably. But like, imagine being at this international break and looking at the top position at the table, and it's it's not out of reach. I mean, we play Liverpool next. If we beat Liverpool, you can't say we aren't a title contender. I mean, look, if you believe in data and if you believe in reality, then you probably can say that. And beating Liverpool might be a bridge too far for right now. It's just the point that having this stuff to dream about is really exciting. So we'll get into a few more individual performances that I think are important. But if we're going to talk about being excited and lighter and rejuvenated and refreshed, Clive, what do we got to talk about? If we're talking about being lighter and rejuvenated and refreshed. I forgot. I always forget. Go on then. Get on with it. (laughs) I love your open disdain for the sponsor that so greatly supports our podcast and is Manscaped. That's right. Holidays have come early. Ho, 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 gentlemen. That's what it says here in my copy. But also ladies, women. This is for everybody. It's for everybody. My wife. She uses this stuff. Not that you need to know that. The holidays came early here at Manscaped, the leading men's hygiene brand. Manscaped just launched new products, including their all-new ultra-premium body wash and two-in-one shampoo and conditioner. It's time to give yourself, or someone who needs it, the gift of beautiful skin, hair, and balls this holiday season. Go to manscaped.com and use code ARSENALVISION for 20% off and free shipping. Why am I reading their copy? Because sometimes, as I read through it, it just leads to really fun side points. Things like, untrimmed pubes are a thing of the past and it's possible you have Santa's beard in your pants. That is what they have as a talking point. Now, I'm going to say just this. I got to disagree with the sponsor in this respect. If you are able to grow Santa's beard in your pants, don't shave it. Don't shave it. Because that that is epic and like that's worthy of that's worthy of praise. There comes a point at which you're doing something special and just leave it. Um, it's time to leave your significant other some cookies and milk at the bottom of your chimney. I want to meet the person who writes the talking points. 
I would like to interview them. Like, I, I'm, I'm willing to bet that there is enough listeners that would actually want to listen to an interview with the person who writes this copy. Look, the point is, the Lawnmower 4.0 is the best product I have ever used for body trimming. And we do, we do that. Like, you know, it's just so funny, right? Like there's some things we do and when you have a good product that does it, it's better than a bad product. If you're a cook and you get like a new pan or a new knife, like if, you, if you're someone who cooks and you get like a great new knife, like why was I using that crappy knife all this time? This is amazing. You know, uh, weird to talk about knives juxtaposed against this topic. But the point is like when you get a product that does something really well, you're like, why did I use that crappy product for so long? That, that old razor, that old trimmer, you've got skin safe technology, a long battery life. You can use it in the shower. It's wet, dry, has a very long battery life. As I mentioned, because I am on a lot of medication, uh, a light trimmer guards, all kinds of stuff. It is beautiful. It just charges by just resting it in the dock. So it's really cool contact or, um, wireless charging, which is fun. All that. Plus They've got the body products. They've got the uh, ear and nose hair trimmer, that thing. They'll forgive me for being a little off my game today. At least Arsenal aren't. Anyway, go to manscaped.com, promo code ArsenalVision. 20% off is a lot, and free global shipping is a lot. So, like, yeah, just do that. Do that. You'll like it. Okay, Clive, is that enough of that? Plenty, plenty. Yeah, I thought you'd say that. Okay, good. Well, onward and upward. Paul, there's been weird games with Benjamin White where he has defended manfully and not been great on the ball. Um, I think the Burnley game comes to mind. There have been games where he's been great on the ball and defensively a little suspect. And then there are games like this where he's just the fucking man. And he creates the goal for Emma Smith-Rowe by pinching up the thing that we sort of think of as his thing he did for Brighton, right? Pinching up, being front-footed defense, nicking the ball, carrying it forward. He pinches up, carries the ball forward, loses it, but no big deal because Smith-Rowe's there to slam it in. But this was this was another game where Ben White started to put it all together. And I think maybe we didn't see the best of what he could be on the ball early on in the season, but we're starting to see it now, the carrying, the punched passes between the lines. And I think in the absence of Thomas Party being there, he even added, he's doing some of the stuff that Party was doing last season in terms of quickening the tempo, Taking, you know, when we regain possession, turning it into attack. This, this for me was a, a 10 out of 10 Ben White game. Sorry, Benjamin White game. I know you will not follow suit in that. So, do you want to uh, heap the praise on him that I think he so richly deserves? Yeah. Uh, Whitey was great. Um, Shout for man of the match? Uh, for sure. Um, <clears throat> like, football's more fun with Ben White. Um, We'll play better football with Ben White. The the yep. step the stepping into midfield thing in in this case, as you highlighted, the goal came from him uh, uh, nipping like this was the final third, and he nipped up there ahead of the midfielder and the striker in the area for the ball. Nips in ahead, dribbles past a couple, loses the ball in a in a dangerous for them area. Um, which is often the case when he'll drive forward. Like one out of two drives, he may end up getting tackled, but he'll get tackled by two or three central midfielders because he's the free man. That's the beauty of those forward runs from the centre-back. And you got the total football thing of centre-backs stepping into midfield, midfielders stepping into the back line, um, and that kind of dynamism moves around like their midfielders don't know what's happening to them at that point. So it starts, even if that particular drive doesn't come off, it shakes them up. And in this case, the ball squirts loose and Smith Rowe jumps on it and puts it in the back of the net again. And so you got this 
energy that comes from a Ben White. And then in the same game, defensively, he's like him and Tommy Yasu are off the charts with tackles, headers. Um, like Ben White is 12 clearances. Now, clearances isn't always the best sign of a game going well for you, but it's a, a sign that Ben White was in the right places at the right times doing defensive work while uh, helping our attacking end of the pitch too but he 12 clearances the next best was like six um so he was he like we talked about it on the instant reaction podcast the thing the reason he's not a midfielder but he's a defender is because he absolutely fucking loves the duel the battle um it's why i was never too worried about this whole thing about him he's not great on headers or he's not that tall or whatever um he loves the battle he loves the duel and not in the same way we were talking about this uh, myself and Clive not in the same way Gabrielle does um he's kind of he's he's cleverer he loves the leech, reach around he loves the kind of nipping Wait, in ahead what? of <laughs> the reach around that tackle where he gets the leg the other side oh, of the guy okay but, that's what that is you know that's, yeah, that's yeah. what I thought it was too okay it, it really confuses the attacker the reach around they no, they look a little stunned for 30 mm-hmm. 45 seconds they feel mm-hmm. a little at odds with themselves. Fair enough. Um, but he's just a different kind of defender. And then you look at it in, in the context of Gabrielle and Tomiyasu on either side. I al- also think this was low-key one of Tomiyasu's best games. He absolutely stuffed Dennis on his side. Um, and like, very good on the attacking end. And like those things come together. When your partner is doing his business, uh, you feel much more comfortable in your game. I think game. that's so important, Paul. Yep. I, I think that as a partnership, I said this in the Instant Reaction Pod, so apologies for repeating myself to people who listen to that, but like, and I know most people fast forward my section anyway, but like, I, I think central defenders can be so good that they carry a weaker partner, but when the styles complement each other, yeah. that that's when it's its best. I think Ben White, knowing he's got an athletic, physically dominant technically gifted defender covering for him behind him. He has the the green light to go do the things that he really excels at. Yeah, he's just a baller. And like his passing, is, it's not just the passing you make, it's the selections you make. And he's a really good, he's super intelligent. He's a really good reading of what the game needs now. Like, um, I like Rob Holding. And he can pull off a switch pass and he can pull off a, a pass upfield, and but he doesn't have that reading of what the game needs now. Slow, fast, kind of almost the the La Pausa thing of, of if I put my foot on the ball right now, what does that do to move people around? What's the game need right now? Um, we're just going to play much, much better football because Ben White is our right centre back and because he steps into midfield and because he's the free man when he steps into midfield and he moves those guys around. He wins his battles. Occasionally, he'll do something uh, like where you say, that was really dumb. Um, He's a gambler, but gamblers pay off. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Tim, quickly, anything you want to add on the Ben White-Gabriel partnership, and then maybe we can talk about a special new addition to that back line. Yeah, sure. I, I'm really liking the look of it now. I, I kind of, I, I, I was never worried about um, about White, but you know, did say uh, wasn't that impressed initially. But f- for me, it's much more. Um, I'm much more impressed by the driving out from the back line than even the passing. I, th- I think that's 
got to be like the next evolution in the centre back because obviously we've seen them kind of turn into these ball players over the years. But um, you know, then there's a reaction to that: people blocking your passing lanes, and and you know, people even marking you. Um, I, I I see that in the women's team. People mark Leah Williamson because she's so good at passing out from the back. So one of the things she's worked on this season is driving out and dribbling, and that's exactly what Ben White's doing. And and we saw it as well for the build up to the goal. I think that's such an interesting facet for a centre half to have. And I, even when I think of a lot of the top centre halves. I'm not sure they quite have that. And I, I just see that as the next evolution um, in the kind of the, the top class centre-halves game. And Ben White already has it. Yeah, yeah, well said. So can we talk Nuno Tavares? Tavares? Is that, is <laughs> yeah, that, sure. Is that, is that right? <laughs> is that Tavares. even close? Yeah. Um, you know, you, you sometimes, I hate when I say you when I mean me. I sometimes am guilty of learning something about a player early on and then having that prior stick. You know what I mean? Like, so Nuno, what is he? He's fast. He's powerful. He has a good shot. He's raw. He's, he's rough around the edges. He's going to make mistakes. You know, he's, he's not technically sound. And so that becomes the heuristic. That becomes the, the profile in your mind, but that's not him. Like he, he can carry the ball at his feet comfortably, lay it off, make those little five-yard passes, play the longer passes. When he chases back defensively, he uses his body well to shoulder players off the ball. They don't get around him. He's a really special player, and he's added something to our game. And I think, I don't want this to be a a straight comparison with Tierney, because Tierney was given this role to sort of get ahead and play in that upper left wing to deliver crosses and to maybe pull a player over to him so that the left winger, like Smith Rowe, could cut inside more. And actually, we saw Nuno do a bit more of that role in this game. But what Nuno mm. has in his game that I really like, he doesn't try to go to the outside as much as Tierney does. He'll bring the ball back inside. And when he brings the ball back inside, I think he really drags defenders out of position. Smith Rowe can run around the outside of that, and that works. The other thing he does is Tierney puts in a better cross, but I think Tavares has this really good like cutback, this pullback that he does. There was the one I think he pulled back to Lacazette, laid off to Sambi Lakanga for the driven shot that Foster just about saves. I think he has made a very big difference in the way we play, and I'm very interested to see how Arteta navigates the the competition there. Now, I am someone who has admittedly, Tim, as you probably know, sometimes been overly worried about competition, where actually at a good club, at a big club, you should be happy about competition. Um, would it be handy if we had maybe an extra game for players to rotate a bit so everyone stays happy? Maybe, but it is what it is right now. So do you do you have maybe evolving thoughts on what Nuno has brought to the game and the extent to which we are a different side with him or maybe he's been the beneficiary of us playing a different way since he's come in? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. I think um, just to pick up on your kind of your last point there about um, not having enough games for some of these players, you know that that can make the environment even more competitive when um, when it's like, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll get a Europa League game on Thursday. Don't worry about it. And sometimes what you can develop there, and I think we've seen this at Arsenal, you develop like the cup team and the league team, and I'm not sure that's always that healthy. Um, and I'm not sure it always gets the best out of either team. Whereas now, um, you know, it's like it's like throwing some food in the middle of a load of lions. You know, there's less food there now, so um, <laughs> better elbow your way to the front, hadn't you? 
um, rather rather than just waiting and seeing what the leftovers are. There are no leftovers anymore. Mm. Um, so that I, I think that has brought an interesting dynamic. I think there are a couple of things going on here. I think Tavaresh, he it's weird. He doesn't look like the player that played the first couple of games. Like all of that kind of, I don't know whether it was just like a perception thing, but all of that rawness seems to have gone. Like he's he's much more like he's kept um, the things that he's good at, but like the what I considered anyway to be the rough edges just seem to have like disappeared like really, really quickly. I've, I've never really seen that before. And I don't know, maybe he was just trying really hard to impress. Um, and, you know, he's got a little bit of a flow um, with with a few games. I, I do think also the system has helped. I do think that partnership with Smith Rowe um, on the left has has really, really helped as well. I do think the fact that he can drive inside is brilliant. Um, and that's why, that's why a two-footed player will always, always have a bit of an advantage because they can go both ways. And what I think what we're seeing with a couple of these players, just talking about um, Benjamin White kind of dribbling out, and now you've got Tavares who can go outside or inside. These are players, these are unstructured players, and it's not because they are unstructured, it is because they do things to the structure of the other team. Mm. So if they do this, so if they're not like just, oh, Ben, you know, because even David Louise, like brilliant, brilliant passer of the ball, but you know it's coming. You know he's going to get the ball and he's going to whack it um, cross field. That's still a valuable weapon, but you know he's going to do that. If David Luiz had the dribble as well, that that then you've got a decision to make because usually what, what teams would do is they think, okay, all right, we'll just defend the pass because we know it's coming. Whereas if it's like, hmm, okay, so I'm blocking the passing lane, but what if he goes past me? You know, that that produces doubt in opponents. And it's it's yeah. similar with Tavares, right? It's it's kind of um, right, he might not go down the line, actually. He might drive inside because he's actually got a right foot on him. And when he does that, that is unstructured play. That is unpatterned play. And sometimes that's, well, quite a lot of the time, that's very, very difficult to deal with, um, particularly in, I think, the modern game, which is so kind of choreographed. Um, you know, I was just talking about, well, that's why I think, I basically think the, the game's reached such a state of choreography that the guys who can disturb structure are going to be so valuable and that to me is dribbling like this is this is the age for dribblers to really emerge and Tavares is a really really good dribbler really good at driving inside and outside we're seeing it with Benjamin White as well and and both of those players I think have really added something to the team and and also you've got to say Smith Rowe I think he's playing brilliantly at the moment and and Tavares is certainly benefiting from that but at the same time you can you can put it the other way around you can say well in the three games Tavares has played now Smith Rowe scored in all of them and he deserves credit for that as well yeah oh we're going to get to Smith Rowe of course uh Clive I want to let you add on Tavares so one thing I'll say too is like Again, styles complement each other, right? So you've got a tricky, more natural, wide attacking forward on the right with maybe more of a defensive-oriented um, right back. I don't want to sell Tomiyasu short, but I think that's fair. Whereas on the left, you've got maybe more of an, a, a more central midfielder, you know, a set, uh, more of a number 10 type player on the left. And then you've got this fullback next to him that's almost more like a winger and can dribble a guy, can beat a guy for pace, you know, up the wing or inside. And so... The, the partnerships on the left and on the right are really interesting in how they how they enhance what we're able to do on each side. They feel very balanced. This team starts to feel like it's been put together, not in terms of who's a good player I can add, but who's a good player I can add that 
complements the pieces I'm going to put around him. And that is, you know, that's sort of the 3D chess, the part that maybe is sometimes hard to see when you're just looking at transfer targets saying, why this guy, why that guy? Well, because these guys kind of all fit together in a special way. Clive, you want to add on Tavares? And then we, we should probably talk about the Halen boys. Yeah, I think it's not so much Tavares. I think it's how we've recruited this year. It's interesting, you know, Arteta has been critiqued about being overly structured. And I've never agreed with that because I think coaching is about providing assistance to your player, positionally making sure we are covered around the pitch, we're connected. I think the way you coach will automatically drive a certain structure. Our critique before, for me, and... I've been quite consistent about my player criticism, has been about the one dimension of our players which forces us into a structure. It forces us to protect people, to hide people, to pick certain systems, because certain players did not have the two-footedness, didn't have the carrying ability, can't solve problems on the pitch when they're pressed on the ball. They can't get out and use their weak foot. They can't switch play with their weak foot. They can't switch the point of the attack consistently. And the way football is at the moment, the people with the highest touches are our people at the back door of our pitch, uh, of our team, sorry. So I can't, this is why I get frustrated with some data sometimes. Every game with centre backs or the right back has the most touches. Right. So yeah. why would you want those players to be brilliant on the ball? Right, but we accept people who are not brilliant on the ball. And when we, when we sign them, we critique them because they can't head. Right, or we think they can't head. Look at how the game is going. Look who's having the most touches, Manchester United, Man City, everybody else. The first thing Patrick Vieira did was change his centre-backs. The first thing Pep did was change his centre-backs and his goalkeeper. You know, And finally, we've been able to do these things. And the specifics of these players' technique has allowed them to, if this is probably what Tim was trying to get to, is to play outside of structure when the problem is presented. They can now do something else. And this is why we're, we're better it's down to player quality and their specifics, what they can actually do. So when Tavares is pressed on, on his left foot, he can chop onto his right foot and drive inside. Or he can go on the outside. The same for Tomiyasu. Ben White, left-footed passes over the top into the left-side channel from the right-side defence. Right, we, can't, we, we just can't do this stuff before. On his wrong foot. Gabriel can drive. He can switch. Right, so we've got Sambi who can carry, but he can still do the rat attack on any does. Mate Arnold, an all-round footballer. This is what we want. More all-round, complete technical players that can solve the problems that you're faced with on the day. And whether it's carrying, whether it's flipping, whether it's passing, whether it's creating transitions, quick to the press, quick, much more intense to take the ball off people. This is what the good teams have. Lots of these players and we're finally working it out. So the one-dimensional guys have gone who forced us into systems that we didn't really want to play and we could be easily stopped because their inability to have enough technical skills to solve that problem, it, it, was, it was costing us. It really was costing us and forcing us and making us so easy to scout and so easy to stop. And this is where the club deserve massive credit because now... I look at the horizon and I'm looking at it with such excitement because these players are still developing their skills and I don't know where it's going to go. And I generally, I love to look ahead. I don't know where it's going to go, but it's going to be so interesting to see when we do add the forwards and the centre midfield depth where this team could go to because I think it could be really exciting. 
Can yeah. I just um, add oh, something please, really please quickly do. on that? Mm-hmm. I don't know if you listened to TIFO Football Podcast last week. Did. They did oh. an episode and uh, they were talking about Aaron Ramsdale, actually, and they were saying someone, whoever scouted him for Arsenal, deserves a lot of credit because they did yeah. a, a, like a video on him and they were like, there's nothing in the data that suggests he can do what Arsenal want. And they were saying like the kind of passes he's making at the moment, like he hadn't done that before. So, yeah. I, so they, they were basically saying full credit to the scouting team because they've obviously done a bit more than just look at his videos. That they've been speaking to people about what he can do with the ball. Yeah, yeah. and I, I, I mean, I, yeah, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Sorry, mate, because Tim, <laughs> there was a video come out today on that Tim. Funny enough, just a little five minute on Aaron Ramsdale. Maybe it's a part of a bigger video, but. I think that's a genius signing, and I I think I actually did a tweet on it today. I think it's a it's a soft factor signing as well as a data signing. So either either he's been taught incredibly quickly that he, to do these you know drill passes down the middle, but I also think what he's brought to the team emotionally. And Tim, you used to love Chesney, and again emotionally, what he brought to the team as a character used to permeate itself to the crowds, right? So. Sometimes the goalkeeper is the closest one to the crowd. I think it's a very important thing. Same with David Seaman. He had that connection. Jens Lehmann had that connection to the crowd. And I, th- I think it's a genius signing. I think I really do. When when I spoke to James about it, I said it before, and he said they were very interested in his character. He was player of the year at these last two or three clubs. And so there's something about him. And I, I didn't, I thought I gave him a break, but to be honest, no, I don't think any of us could really see the impact he's having to the club, not just how he plays, but emotionally. I think it's a genius bit of work. Yeah, I, I mean, look, the silliest thing in the world to do would be to relitigate the Ramsdale Wars about why people were against it, why people weren't. Were there people that expressed their opinion in a toxic way or too forcefully? Of course, that's just how it works. Um, were there people that had, I think reasonably held concerns about why we were targeting that player at that price at the, you know, at that moment. Yes. Has it worked out brilliantly and been transformational and an important move that we, the club absolutely got right and deserves credit for? Yes. And that is brilliant. And I think there's a meme out there that Clive, you're sort of hitting on because I think most of your contributions are reducible to memes. Um, (laughs) It's, it's a picture of a football pitch and it's got the defensive area shaded. And it says in this area, players just, like tackle and head the ball. And it's got the offensive area shade, the attack and third. It's like in this area, players just score goals. And then it's got the middle area shade and it's like ball magically progresses through this area. And it's sort of a meme designed to, you know, make fun of how people don't understand midfielders and that like all anybody cares about is tackles, assists, and goals when actually ball progression is critical. But I don't think that's just the purview of the midfield. And what we've seen to your point, uh, uh, Clive, is that players that can quicken your progression up the pitch matter. Like there's a, there's a new um, stat expected threat and it sort of measures the way players, the, the distance sort of traveled through zones and how much threat that adds because you can actually stay, stay, statist- st- say statistically, actually you can't say that apparently, um, that as you move through certain zones, your likelihood of scoring a goal increases a certain amount. And players like Ben White who can do that and Ramsdale who can do that in ways that other players have not done it for us make a big, big difference. We, You know, the crazy thing is how much we were worried about losing David Louise. Not a lot of hand-wringing about that now, is there? Um, so anyway, Paul... It, Look, we are 57 minutes or so into this podcast, and I feel a sense of shame, um, which I usually do around the hour mark of the podcast, that we have not mentioned Saka or Smithrow. And maybe specifically just that 
absolutely epic goal celebration of them lying on the ground together in repose that we were robbed of when the goal was ruled out. Um, I should mention at this moment, news has broken as we record that Emma Smith-Rowe has been called up to the England team. Mm-hmm. Full England international now, yep. Emma Smith-Rowe. Woo-hoo. So huge congratulations to him. Well-deserved. There is going to be a segment of the fan base that wants to debate, is Smith-Rowe better than Saka? You know, is he playing better? than Who the hell cares? They're both absolutely fantastic. The club is fortunate to have them. It is a staggering success for the academy. I, I think that Smith-Rowe's goal will lead to him overshadowing Saka in this game, who I actually thought was brilliant. He he has a way, every time he's isolated on the right, of doing a thing that I think Pepe struggles to do. Unfortunately, you have to create that binary all the time of just being able to beat one guy to open something up for someone else. And I think he's really intelligent how he does that. Could he maybe just be a little bit more dangerous with the finishing? Could he Could he fi- add that final ball? Yes. It's easy to forget that Sack is actually a bit younger than Smith-Rowe because he's played so much. Smith-Rowe's the older player. Um, but man, Emil Smith-Rowe and the intention he has to get onto a ball and score goals is something we have needed, and he's added it. So I thought this was a brilliant game for both of them. Um, but it is Smith-Rowe who wins it. So you want to maybe just heap some praise on on two players who, you know, ask, I, I think Clive even maybe said it in the instant reaction pod, like it is the young players carrying this team. It is the the Smith-Rows and the Sackas and Nuno Tavares and Ben White and Rams. It's the young players carrying this team forward. Yeah, we have the youngest team in the league by some measure. We have the youngest manager. What was what was wait, Clive? Was it your headline? You'll win everything with kids. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> little 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 bit of a takeaway from the instant reaction pod. There, you'll win everything with kids. Brilliant. Which is kind of like the other thing that came to mind this morning when I was thinking about it was Wenger talking about kids will cost you points. Like they'll make mistakes, and this is named at Sack and Smith Row. I don't think they're going to cost us points. But we're playing such a young team. Like there's going to be moments, and Lakanga had one or two in this. One in particular where he lost the ball in front of our penalty area and they were through on us. Like, there will be mistakes, but I don't think they're going to come from Sack and Smith Rowe. Fortunately, they're at the most dangerous end of the pitch. Um, uh, There's something, there's a symmetry as well about this because they've both ended up playing the wide positions and they both have license to float into that kind of 8-10 uh, free zone, the the kind of the I guess channels two and four, if you want to look at it like that. That those little pockets on the corners of the boxes on either side. Smith Rowe comes a little deeper usually to pick up the ball when when uh, when needed. Saka stays a little higher, but there's a beautiful symmetry about what they do on each side of the pitch, and they sit together for breakfast before games. They plan their celebrations out together. They push each other on. Bukaya Saka has been putting a word in with Gareth Southgate that there's a young man at our club. He really should get him along onto onto the uh, onto the squad because he's a good character. Um, there's just a beautiful symmetry about how they play, how their careers are going. Um, there's even a little bit of complimentary in that uh, Saka is great in possession. He he has this thing where he floats. Uh, on the ball and the defender has no clue which side he's going to take him on and yeah. he, he moves us into really dangerous areas 
for cutbacks for people like Smith-Rowe. And I think that's going to be a relationship, Saka to Smith-Rowe, that we're going to see over the next few years. Um, Smith-Rowe's fitness uh, and his the robustness of him has come on massively over the last 12 months. And we Arsenal used to be just synonymous with don't love a player. Those whom the gods love die young. Don't love a player because Wilshire, Ramsey, Fabregas, it's a ma- Rizitsky, whoever you love the most, the gods will take and inflict endless, endless injuries on. Um, I'm doing it again, aren't I? With my jinxing. <laughs> oh, you! I hate to constantly reference the instant re- reaction pod. And those of you who have no interest in our Patreon, like we love you for being here. Thank you. And those of you who do, we love you too. We just love everybody. But um, everybody love everybody. But uh, Paul deserves to be called out for reprehensible behavior because Paul repeatedly, multiple times on the IR pod, said Ben White never gets injured like that. Yeah, and you I just don't believe you, in your you magical can't let him thinking. get away with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um. And but let me phrase it in a way that that doesn't call the gods into action. Okay. The 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 the, uh, the club has done a tremendous job uh, guiding him forward so that he is fit and robust. He's playing basically ninety minutes all the time. He plays our Carabao Cup games when we need a filler inner because uh, who was it? Odegaard had a niggle or something. Loves a niggle that fella. Um, and uh. Like, here are these two guys playing every game. My big concern about us playing so much second Smith-Rowe was they didn't have the numbers. They didn't have the contributions last year. Great players. We loved them on the pitch. We loved how we played when they were on the pitch. But the numbers weren't stacking up to the level you would need that if we're going for top four, top six, and those guys are playing game in, game out, it needs to come with the contributions, the numbers. And it's there now. And Smith-Rowe... In this game, like he he, he uh, spins one in that just missed the corner of the goal. The last game, uh, he swoops in like this one and puts it in the net. But he had two or three other positions where he could have done it in the last game. It's not it's not a one off. And I think we who have always thought Smith Rowe would get goals is because we've seen uh, across the board Smith Rowe keeps getting into these. Aaron Ramsey-type positions, arriving in the box a little late, but perfectly timed. It's so simple um, that you look at it and say, why doesn't everybody do it? And yet very few players have that arrive in the right spot and then keep it simple, uh, make a clean connection, get it in the right spot, and let the ball do its work. I mean, I think this one has a little deflection, but... uh, doesn't matter. He's he's hit it right. He's hit it hard. He's kept it low. If he does that throughout the season, throughout his career, he's going to get a hat full of goals. And there's just a beautiful symmetry watching these two players come through. Yeah, I, I love it. I love everything about it. It's it's so so enjoyable, and they are so likable and so good. Tim, there are set just, piece guys too. Sorry, before yeah you, yeah but, you're right, and it's and made a big take, difference. Yeah, can we just say? The the short corner is dead. Long live the in swinger or whatever. Like fucking hell, um, Tim. Before we move on, I don't. I'm trying to contextualize like where I think Smith Rowe and Saka land in the sort of pantheon of elite academy prospects. I think they've played enough now. 
that we can sort of say they're going to make it and they look like big stars. And granted, things can can always derail. I'm not going to go full Paul and be like, they never got injured or any of that stuff. Um, but like, yeah, Jack Wilshire, obviously that failed to materialize. Other than that, I mean, where do you go for an academy prospect of this level? Ashley Cole. Um, I mean, you can go back to obviously like the, the Merce and Tony Adams days, but like, what do you think? I mean, where where do these guys sit right now in terms of the hierarchy of academy players with seemingly limitless potential? Yeah, I think Ashley Cole is um, is a really good kind of analogy there. Hopefully, neither, neither one or both of them ends up soiling their Arsenal legacy in quite that way. But Crashing if, their car over 40k yeah, a week? Or yeah, whatever. yeah. Um, although, to be fair, if I were them and they were being offered 55k a week now, I probably would crash my car. Yeah, um, <laughs> fair point. I don't think there's any danger of that, don't worry. No, no. Um, but but yeah, like in terms of like the actual quality of player, I mean, Ashley Cole was was world-class and he was world-class for a decade or more so that's that's I'd say the benchmark for an Arsenal Academy player but I mean in terms of an Arsenal Academy player that could that could become like a real club legend I mean again Tony Adams is probably the absolute benchmark there of a player who stayed for his whole career um not sure how realistic that is in this day and age but but yeah it's 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 amazing do you know what? Actually, I, I was thinking um, the other day. I was thinking for, for years. I said, like, how fucking lucky are Spurs that they just had Harry Kane come through their academy, just like a hundred million pound striker. Look what it changed got. for them. They were able to yeah. win absolutely nothing during his period. There's really <laughs> no. I'm kidding. I mean, uh, if we want to set aside rivalry, they made a Champions League final and finished top yeah, four yeah. a lot thanks to one academy player being really good. It, exactly, exactly. They, whether we like it or not, they became contenders. Now we can laugh about the fact that they were never more than contenders, yes, but true. they they went up a couple of levels because they kind of lucked out that Harry Kane came through their academy. And and now maybe it's happening to us. <laughs> maybe we've got two players, but but the way they're playing at the moment. In fact, this system. I mean, it really reminds me. And again, I'm not setting the quality of these players against the quality of those players. But like system wise, it's very invincibles, isn't it? Like with Saka kind of coming in, Smith Rowe coming in, both um, kind of coming inside quite a lot, having two fairly solid central midfielders, a second striker dropping in as more of a ten. I mean, system wise, it's it's a bit of a throwback. Um, but I think what it's really done as well, this system, it just enables them both to come inside. And I think that is for both of them. That is their prime position. I think Saka's prime position is out on the right, but coming inside. And Smith Rowe's prime position is out on the left, but coming inside. And we're seeing that now. And just for Smith Rowe as well, again, those of you who were listening to this podcast last season, I said he will score goals because that's what he used to do in the youth team. And usually you find guys that come through once they're comfortable and they feel established they start bringing out those traits again because he was he was scoring goals in the youth team because he was the best player in the youth team and then you kind of come into the team and maybe you defer a little bit and you don't take on those shots and you think okay I'm in the team I've got to like I've got to not take risks and things like that but once you feel comfortable once you've got the number 10 on your back once you've got that new contract you know, you start taking those shots on. That shot he had for the goal, Smithrow, there's no chance he takes that last season um, as a shot. I think he'd try and pass that. And all the data shows he's doing all of those things more. He's dribbling a lot more, shooting a lot more, passing less, actually having fewer touches. 
he's he's really trying to make the difference. And when you look at his direct goal contributions this season, he's up there with some big names um, who play similar positions. And it, it really is a pleasure at the moment. There's there's some things that the club, um, you know, it looks like have done well in terms of their recruitment. Um, but but these two, they're, they're the real gold stars um, around it. And you can tell that that's what the fans feel as well. These two, all of the other kind of, uh, some of the slightly younger players we've bought feel, you know, we feel good about those players at the moment, but but these are the players we feel great about. Um, and I think rightly so. And I'd just say on Saka, I'd heard a lot of people say they didn't think he played very well, um, you know, in the Villa game and the Leicester games. And I was thinking, Really? I thought I thought he was great in both of those games. I really did. I think the amount of threat he creates, I love that delivery he's got off the right where he kind of chops into on his left foot. And like that is a much better area to hit crosses from, like the corner of the box. And Saka's delivery from the corner of the box is so, so good. That's much better than walloping them in from the touchline. Um, and, and I just love the way he's able to get turned and kind of knife his way inside and go towards the box and commit players. It's it's such a massive skill. And I look around the Premier League and I just don't see many players like that. Yeah. Uh, Clive, I, I'm betting you don't have any interest in this topic, but I mean, can I <laughs> coax you into discussing Saka and smith Rodo? Yeah, well, the guys have really done it. But uh, Tim's last point there on Saka was just spot on. I, his ability to escape off the line knowing when to carry and then and drive, knowing when to get rid of it and go and follow it and get it back. I think when the ball goes out there, it just comes out from him and we've still got it. And and I'm, I'm a fan of Pepe, but when the ball goes in to him, I'm not sure what's coming out. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's a big thing. So if there's a lack of certainty of what's coming out and when it's coming out, then you don't move. You know, but Saka's got his great skill of knowing exactly when to release it accurately and how to release it. And the only thing left for him to do is to, you know what, mates? You don't have to release it. Just bang it into the net on on occasions because he's got that too. And I I think that will come where Smith-Rowe's just discovered that, but I think it will come for him once he chops inside that left foot. Just bang it. Stop passing it to idiots, right? Bang it yourself, you know? And that's what I'd be... That's what I would tell him. um, But yeah, it's... um, there's, there's a lot of young players that are coming through at Arsenal, just to broaden it slightly, that are showing amazing potential. And they've got no better standard bearers than these two. Just yeah. showing the way. And that's all we want, right? They are just leading the way. And the club is prepared to play young players. This is the place to be at the moment for if you're a young player. Destination of choice. Absolutely. And this is the place to be if you're a young player like right now. Because you've got a chance. You've got a real chance. And Smith and Sacco are the proof. Yeah. I mean, you said it. You'll win everything with kids. And I mean, maybe during this international break, we will talk a little bit about what the ceiling is on this this rejuvenation this season. Because I, I think we're getting to the point where we can sort of maybe start to think about what is really possible. Uh, maybe even on this podcast. But before we do that, and it sounds like my house has just collapsed, so hopefully that's not the case. Um, Paul, let's just touch on the Aubameyang performance. We, I think we handled this in in the past in different ways. We've always sort of said if Aubameyang's engaged and working hard and pressing and running and getting chances, then that's what you want from him and it'll all come. I do think, though, like it is fair to start to say that maybe he's not able to 
or maybe it's form, maybe able, whatever, to do some of the things that he might have done in the past. There was a moment late in the game, you know, people will talk about the missed penalty. It was bad. I don't think necessarily he should be the primary pen, penalty taker, but like penalties get saved. I thought that one was too close to the keeper. So be it. He has the the touch that ruins the sack of goal. Again, I'm not sure you can blame him for trying to be involved in that position. And he has the studs on the ball that leads to Odegaard's shot being offside. Again, can you blame a striker for those instincts in that situation? And also, is it totally clear that Odegaard's shot is definitely going in? I mean, I think it possibly hits the post and bounces out. So a, a lot of that is just misfortune. But there's stuff that I saw, like when Saka delivers the in-swinger late in the game and Aubameyang doesn't get his foot on it. His movement is great, as usual, but the burst isn't there, the leg extension. We've seen a few times this season where he doesn't get his leg on a ball that you think, gosh, could he have gotten there? So I, I do sort of look at him as a player who who is still trying his heart out, but that's, I think sometimes we overly praise trying when the reason some of these guys get 350K a week is to also not just do the trying part, but do the executing part and be amazing. I cannot fault the effort and the, and the application. I do think that it is fair to maybe start to say that some of the elite, elite, and I know I use the word elite a lot, that needs to go in a mug, um, <laughs> striker output from him is maybe just not quite there, or is that, am I putting dirt on the grave too soon? What, what do you think about the performance generally and my tendency to overreact? Um, yeah. Uh, look, he's a little out of form. Um, and, and the application's he, there, right? We, we can set yeah, yeah. that aside. You uh, know, he, kudos to him for it. You know, under the covers, he does quite a bit of work even in this game, mm-hmm. getting back nipping balls, uh, sewing things together, has some nice touches. But the top line stuff, the stuff that catches the eye, the stuff he's there for, the finishing, uh, et cetera. Like, he takes a very deep breath for that penalty. Um, may, I'd like to go back and have a look at a few penalties he's scored if if he always takes as deep a breath as that. Um, l- like, there's no way he can, he'll be the same athlete he was when he was 27, 28. I don't think it should matter. I mean, leg extensions, Jesus, um, I'm sure he can get there. Um, can he absolutely outsprint every player on the pitch like he could in his 20s? No, but he didn't need to. Uh, he still got the movement. He still got the smarts. I think at this stage, it's more psychological. If it starts getting to him that his position in full, you know, if if you get that funk that your career is plateauing, um, then... I think that's more the concern than will uh, Aubameyang's physique hold him back. I mean, he can do things that Ronaldo, Cavani uh, and other players uh, playing at the top level, doing incredible things, can't do anymore, but he could. I mean, he's he's got so much physicality in his game. Um, as a striker, like you're always going to go for that Odegaard moment there the, obviously you want him to know he's offside and but he's so desperate to get a goal at that point uh like strikers need to go for those moments and like we can look at it on the camera and say oh well would it have gone you know here we are debating would it have gone in or not a striker must never ask himself might this go in or might might it not if there's just the slightest hint that he can turn it in because it might not be going in you don't blink, you go for it. He should know he's offside. That's the only thing. But he's desperate to 
to get on the sheet and to kind of rectify his moment earlier in the game. And that's understandable. I'm not, I mean, I wouldn't say I'm not worried ab- about Aubameyang, but I don't see that I that, that there's anything here for me to jump to and say, oh, it's definitely this, that, and the other rather than a bit of a funk. I'd be very worried if if Lacazette wasn't playing. And at the moment, we seem to need to play two strikers. We kind of covered that in a different sense. But if we had just had, had the young lads and Aubameyang, I don't know that there's enough thrust there in this game for us to win it. Uh, Lacazette plays such a key role in gluing it all together. Um, it's definitely a bit of an off game for Aubameyang, and I'm worried, but I don't, I don't think I'm anywhere near thinking, oh, it's the decline has started. I think it's just a bit of a funk, and the challenge with... Ironically, the way we're playing, which is quite counter-attacky, quite uh, not super possession-oriented, should help Aubameyang in that there should be transitions, broken play, etc. Um, and yet it's not quite playing out that way. It's Lacazette who's really coming to the fore and showing how he can glue play together and get us into the box and make things happen. So I'm worried about Aubameyang, but I don't think it's the decline air quotes i don't think mm. that's the issue yeah i mean it's it's hard because like scoring goals is hard mm. and players will go through games where they don't do it and on a game like this where it seems like every touch in a critical moment hurt the team like, like just through bad luck right like he has the penalty he misses it if he scores that we're talking about he's on a really good run of goal scoring actually yeah. um but he doesn't and so that looks bad and he has the touch that robs Saka of a goal. And he has the touch that robs Odegaard of a goal. And so on the day, all of his contributions just wind up looking like negatives. So it's easy to overstate the, the neg- negative aspect of his performance in this game. For me, it's the other things that just the little moments where I think I'm, I might have expected Aubameyang in the past to do something more with situations than he maybe has. There have been some near post moments where he didn't quite, you know, make make the the shot I would have expected or burst past a player when he was sort of in a foot race. But in terms of the application and the hard running that he's putting in, I, I don't think anything has changed. And certainly we are pressing more. We are a little more front footed. And as a result, I think fatigue is becoming more of an issue. It says a lot that Lacazette lasts about an hour and Aubameyang is playing 90 minutes every game or, you know, thereabouts. So something to that. I don't think we need to go any further on Oba. I think we can start to wind things down here, Tim. I want to, talk quickly about two things in this game that we we can get out before we just look ahead um, to what's next. And that, firstly, is just Watford's approach. I mean, I, I don't want... Look, I'm, I'm fine with people thinking it was wrong of us to not put the ball out. Those people are dumb and bad and silly and they're wrong. I also don't care because if you think we won this game by shithousing our way to a winning goal, even better, even funnier. Do you have anything to say on that Tempest in a tea, teapot nonsense? I mean, Sar clearly wasn't injured. Mm. Yeah, yeah, He clearly didn't need treatment. Watford were kicking the crap out of us all game and then throwing themselves to the ground and staying down looking for a respite from a, you know what was becoming, I think, a bit of a battering in terms of territory anyway. So no sympathy on my end. Do you, do you see it any differently? No, no, not at all. It's, it's one of the things that winds me up the most, this kind of um, custom of kicking the ball out of play for players who are clearly not really injured. Like, players know. Players know when someone goes down, when they're really hurt and when they're, when they're not. And he wasn't. He didn't even need the physio to come on, so it just shows that 
and and we all know that they were just trying it on they were just trying to get like um a little just take the momentum out which they'd been doing all game which you know fine whatever um but yeah you you don't get to complain when i think when you get a bit back like that and if anything i hope that that kind of um inoculates them against doing it again um you know or makes them think twice about it about it as a as a standard tactic because it's one of those things that's policed by players teams take advantage of it because they can't get in trouble with a referee for it and from our side even if you do think it's a bit bastardy and maybe it is um i don't agree but maybe it is fine because for too long there has been um, there has definitely been this perception of Arsenal being, you know, too soft or whatever, or too nice. And can I address you know, that just real quick? Sorry sure. to cut across you, but it seems like you're always the victim of this. I apologize. <laughs> but like, pundits would have hammered us for being too nice in the past, mm-hmm. and then they're going to hammer you for being, you know, cagey or you know, you clever. Way. Like the point is, don't try to please the pundits. They'll yeah, exactly. they'll find a reason. You know, that's what they do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, precisely. We're, like we don't have to. We don't really have to worry about that. And bingo. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Ultimately, if it makes teams think twice about doing it to us, um, particularly at home, uh, particularly if we are picking up a bit of momentum and teams fear us a bit more, all the better. If if they if someone's in Danny Rose's position and they think mm, actually maybe I won't kick this out because I might not get it back, great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even better. Right. Um. So I see that you've gone on mute, Tim, which I assume means that it's all uh, it's it, it's all going off with the baby. So I can give you more. <laughs> a little what bit, happened? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Do, do you need Do you need me to move to Clive, or can you come back? Yeah. Here? Yeah. 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 Okay. We'll do. <laughs> um. So Clive, the, the other thing is, you know, I thought Watford's tactics in this game bordered on on the violent, and, and you know, one thing that's interesting about the Premier League. We talk about this a lot, Clive, right? The teams have gotten better top to bottom. One through 20, the teams can play a bit now. There's always maybe one team that really, you know, isn't maybe at the level, but but the level has really come up. And what you don't see a lot are the the Dan Smiths, you know, the guys that are thugs that can't play football at this level and as a result just endanger their fellow professional. But I got a little whiff of that off Watford in this game. I think Kucha, Kuka, whatever his name is, um, in particular was a player who came across that way to me and was rightfully sent off. Danny Rose, um, I think could have been sent off for his clothesline on, on Lacazette. They, they went out to kick us. And I, you know, I, I don't think that they can have any complaints about us not wanting to participate in the niceties of football when they committed almost as many fouls and a half as any team had committed against us in 90 minutes. So do you, do you take issue with their tactics or do you think, they have every right to do that, and we have to to deal with it. Because I, I thought this was a little bit across the line. I thought Kevin Friend didn't take control of it, and on another day, maybe someone gets hurt as a result of it. Yeah, so we all connect to games in different ways, and Very true. Th- this game was one I was incredibly nervous about, just due to the fact that there was an expectation on us to win. And when there's an expectation us to win and get into that top end of the pitch, sorry, the league table, we tend to blow it. And so I was just really nervous about his games. And what, I don't worry so much about um, what other players do to us. I worry that the referee polices it appropriately. And I didn't think my indeed did for Crystal Palace. And if you rewatch the game again, I think he cost us the points in that day. And Crystal Palace got a lot of credit. Good side, yes. We would have taken them if the referee did his job. 
right, and sent off people and booked people, we'd have taken them, no problem. And um, in this game, I felt he didn't quite do the job. Can I ask you a question about that? Do you, do you yeah. think the referees are suffering from the let them play directive that they have an ex, a bit of an excuse there? Because like I saw a foul, I think in the Liverpool game against West Ham that is just shocking and should be a red. And I feel like we're seeing more of those this season. Yeah. It's incredibly inconsistent. That's the Cresswell tackle and Jordan Henderson. Yeah. I mean, I mean Paul, Paul Popper does something similar, a bit more force, mm-hmm. a bit more size, and, a, and he's a bit more foreign. And suddenly he's off the pitch, right? So um, straight away, that's a shocking tackle. Cresswell, good old British kid, goes over the top of the ball and did, not with the same force, granted. And um, it should be a red card. And that game's completely different. And um, there is no consistency there. And I, I just want to see it policed, really. Because if they, if, if they want to take us out in transition, because I would, if you're going against Arsenal, I would take us out. No problem. Just give them the cards. Give them the cards. And so they can't continuously do it. So we can transition them and, and really hurt teams. That's my worry, really. I, I, I think if you're if you're banking up against Arsenal right now, what you what are you trying to stop? You're definitely trying to stop us running through you fast, right? That's a definite because we can really get on the hoof and get going and move the ball quickly, switch sides, definitely. And I thought we really managed this game well. Now I've had a chance to have a little look at it again, and the way we ring them in. The way we kept our centre-backs really high, and then when we gave the ball away, we counter-pressed massively and won the ball back. We can do a lot more stuff now because our speed and the recovery, we what forgot Dennis and Saar, they're super sharp. Well, they're not they're not quicker than Tommy and, um, and Nuno. And if they're not there, Ben White and Gabriel are not slow. So we've got the ability to do more things and push people back and hold them in and counter-press and take the ball, create a transition and score. We should have had two more goals. And so we're seeing the evolution of this team and the ability to tactically adjust in games. So I don't care what these teams do. I care about the referees policing the game appropriately and keeping the right temperature of the game in a more consistent manner. And this guy nearly cost us the game. Mike Dean definitely did. And the referee against Aston Villa was much more favourable to us. I can't remember who it was. But that's this was happening game on game. We need to build our rep. So we're a good side. Let's get that big club favouritism back again because we seem to be the smallest big club out there. And so we're the ones that almost the ones that get get the, the rubber green the other way because we, we it's almost like we're the... <laughs> They, they'll create us like the underdog almost and, and make sure we don't get that rubber the green. I've always felt that. I've always felt we haven't been British enough to get the rubber the green. We've seen as that foreign club, that 21st club. I've said it before. But I feel this is changing due to the youth of the team. Uh, I feel it's changing due to the likability of the team and how we mm-hmm. play. And I think this is something we need to build on going forward and establish ourselves. So, mate, I don't care. It's referees, do your job, and we go from there. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, when you get away with it and by get away with it, I mean like, you know, get the result. It's easier to not care, but I do care. I I don't think it is okay for teams to do this. And I think the only way you stop them from doing it is refereeing. And I mean, you know, Stoke stayed up in the premier league for a long time getting away with this shit. So yeah, I, I think, I think it's a shame. Um, I, I think that's it, Paul. The, the last bit here is just what, what, do we start to think about as targets? Seasons are about setting targets, near-term and long-term, right? Um, 
you know, here's a run of five games. We want to take, you know, 12 points or 10 points. And here's where we want to be at New Year's. And here's where we want to be in this time and that time. And AFCON is going to complicate that. And I certainly think the performance of Maitland-Niles and Samby today, today, again in this game, um, is is a really encouraging sign for that period. But what is what is fair? I mean, one of the things that can suck about elevating expectations is it's easier to dash them. Like going into the season, all of us had top six as the goal. Had we reached it, we would have considered it success. It's hard not to dream bigger than that. And just to put that in perspective, through 11 games played, we are now on 20 points. Two off Liverpool in fourth place. If we were to beat them in the next game, which again, set that aside for a second, we'd be ahead of Liverpool. We could potentially finish that game week level on points with Man City and West Ham and, you know, three points behind Chelsea. Now, that all the results would have to go our way. We're currently six points off the top, is the point. And whether you think that's a fair reflection of who we are as a team, I mean, if we had had our players for the start of the season, maybe we just get the win at Brentford and we're 23 points and we're sitting in second right now. I mean, you can't rewrite history that way. But, Paul, it is hard not to think, screw top six, let's go top four. What do you think is a fair reflection of where this team can go based on where it's been so far um so i think there's absolutely no way we should be uh getting our expectations into top four that's something you worry about if that's where you're at when you get to march april um i think you've had like if you're in this squad in this team if you're this manager you go game by game literally as soon as you start thinking beyond that. Now, as supporters, we we live in a different world. We don't perform in the next game. We don't perform in the next run of games. We can take our head up and say, well, what, what should I hope for? What could this team, what's good or bad for this team given what they've shown so far and where they're at? Like top six is realistic, uh, very realistic now. And... I thought that at the, before the season started and then uh, after that three-run uh, streak at the start of the season, I'm like, oh, shit. Um, well, top six is clearly uh, possible on something we should aim at. There'll be twists and turns. I think if you get two res- um, result in terms of the season, not game, but if you get two results focused on the season – then it it stops your process, your development, where we're going. We're we're not playing remotely the football we're looking to play. I bet when Arteta looks at this game afterwards, he's like, "That guy isn't there. This guy isn't here." It it looks like uh, like clown shoes to him when he looks at where we're at and where he's trying to get this team to go to. And you can't get obsessed with where are we at versus our 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 objective of, of kind of results, results, results. You take it game by game while developing your process, while developing how you play. Um, it's not immediately apparent to the fans that you're, you're kind of t- inching your way forward in terms of your style of play, but he's, he's now got some goodwill, some good results, some more I- interlull time to cook, kick us on a little bit. We're about to hit a period where we're going to be playing two games a week. Um, towards the end of November into December, January, 
uh, and February with cups. As long as we stay in the cups, it'll be getting pretty close to two games a week and we'll really start to see things uh, click on in terms of of how we play, how we click, uh, the synchronicities. Um, and I just, There's a part of me that got like secretly, kind of quietly wishes we just had a heroic failure in the League Cup so we didn't have that to worry about, given now that our league season looks so much more encouraging. But you know. Yeah, maybe, but, but I do think when things are going well and you want to keep everybody engaged, I, I don't think it's going to hurt us. I really don't. I think we've got yeah. enough, enough players It's that who two-legged are semifinal staring us in the face in January during AFCON that we could probably do without. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, so, like, you always go to, well, what does this mean for results? And, and as soon as you do that, I'm like, oh, no, don't do that. Cause, and, the, like, those are our personality types. I'm like, no, yeah, no, don't, yeah. don't do that. And, uh, and I still, like, uh, of course you have to have targets, but you've got to be pretty fluid with your targets and not get – to me, uh, I think as a manager, you're not going to want to be too hung up on that as a club even – I know we think well there must be objectives and you got they'll have to have told the managers to do that. I think there are like you just don't know with kids with this project. You just kind of gotta make everybody's looking at it with more of a qualitative. Is it going in the right direction? Because mm, there's yeah. there's going to be way more variance in our team than there is for uh, even a Leicester City or something like that. Like there, that's a fairly mature side with mature expectations. Ours, it fucking depends. It depends on so many factors. I don't think you can get too hung up on it. We have no chance of making top four if anybody else does what they need to do. Like West Ham it, are strong and solid. I know they're going to have a, a tougher run playing in Europe, etc. But they look, they look the business. United will eventually get themselves sorted one way or another. They'll be in the top four. Maybe it'll open up. You know, Conte will get... Spurs organized, they'll be in the mix. Um, it's possible. I just wouldn't get hung up on like top four is what you're worried about if in March we're there and the others haven't performed. That's that's basically my feeling on it. Yeah. And, and I mean, West Ham would be the one you'd be targeting, but it's interesting. You look at the table, you know, we get hung up on advanced metrics. Sometimes like unadvanced metrics can can help you. Just get a sense of things. Just glance at the table, and it jumps out at you, right? Look at the goals scored, for example. Chelsea, 27. Man City, 22. West Ham, 23. Liverpool, 31. Arsenal, 13. That's the cutoff right to fifth. But here's the other one. Look at goal difference. Chelsea, 23. City, 16. West Ham, 10. Liverpool, 20. Arsenal, 0. United, 2. Brighton, 0. Wolves, minus 1. Spurs, minus 7. You know, Spurs have scored 9 goals this season. 9. In 11 matches. Oh, they suck. I love it. Um, But yeah, so right now there's a top four. And then there's another cluster that don't really have a claim to having deserved that yet. But the difference with that other cluster is we had a three-game start that I think, I know this isn't how it works. You can kind of pull out of the sample set. And when you do that, we look a lot more deserving to be in that conversation. Clive, final thought there? Yeah, I think um, we've, we've trucked along nice and quietly. You know, winning games, you know, major the month and winning games nice and quietly. Now people are starting to notice us and people are starting to call up our players internationally. And the volume of games will increase, as Paul has just noted. And I think that's going to be the challenge for us now. We're going to have people away. Gabriel's going away to Brazil. Now, I'm not sure if he's normally gone away, but 
but he's gone now for a couple of weeks. You know, Smith Rowe, in some ways, going with a full squad is better than the under twenty ones because he may not play, but he's going to get that experience which he richly deserves. So we're going to people are going to start Sambi, I believe. Sorry, he's in a full Belgium squad, whereas he wasn't last time, right? Yeah. So this is uh, this is our next challenge, right? We're getting better. We're getting better, and how we manage that is going to be key for us going forward. As for league position, um, well, we're not playing in Europe. And we spoke with Lewis the other day earlier. I think that's going to start to show up next year, not this year. And then yeah. we're going to really see how people cope. If we get a bit of luck with injuries, then I think we're going to be right in there if we continue like this. Well, look at Liverpool. I mean, no, no discredit to, to West Ham, who played great against Liverpool, but they have to play Atletico Madrid in midweek and maybe just a little off their best against West Ham. And that's all it takes in the Premier League right now. The the easy game thing, that just doesn't exist much in the Premier League. There's maybe a couple of them, but not too many. Um, you know, the good news is City away, Liverpool away, and Chelsea away. Those are probably the hardest three games you'll have. After this Liverpool game, we'll have played City away, we'll have played Liverpool away, we'll have played Chelsea at home. Um, you know, there's 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 some room there to, to continue to move up, and I, I hope that's the case. Tim, I don't want to make it sound like I've just cut you out of the podcast, but you sort of asked to be, and I'm, I'm ready to wrap it up. So I'll just ask you if you have anything to add to our, our uh, hypothetical about Arsenal winning the title or not. Um, I completely agree with Paul. Don't set targets. Even if I was... Um, even if I were the team, I wouldn't really... Like, I've been really enjoying this period, and I've yeah. not looked at the table at all, and it's only now that I've looked at it and thought, oh, okay, we are where we are. Like, I've not been looking at it. I've just been enjoying it, and that's kind of what I want to keep doing. I think sometimes targets can um, limit you as well because then you start thinking about, mm, well, if we take a point here and we protect that, like, just try and win the next game That's that, or try and play well in the next game. I think that's got to be the target. I think that's where we are at the moment in, you know, quote-unquote, this project. I'll put you down for third then. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. No, I agree with everything you said. Okay, we'll leave it there. Um, so just as a reminder, lots and lots and lots of content coming out. Uh, tomorrow, Tim's interview will come out, and I'll try to put some stuff around that, maybe get someone to come on to talk a little bit about that topic. And then we'll have the Watford rewatch for patrons. We'll have Premier League Roundup for patrons. You do not want to miss that because there's going to be a lot more laughing at Spurs and United and all kinds of clubs. So please join us for that. European Roundup with Phil Costa. Um, I've got some new concepts that we're going to try out that will probably be terrible. You won't want to miss that so you can laugh at us. And um, I just want to say, like, the London trip, I haven't had a chance to put a podcast out about some of the stuff that happened then, so maybe this inter international break is a good time to do that. We're going to do a rewatch of a classic game just cannot say enough how special this podcast, podcast community, the people around it, meeting everybody has been and what it means to me and all of us. So thank you so much, everyone, for being here. It's it's really special. I'm actually looking at moving the family to London for the summer so it can be a little closer to, to Tim and Clive, a little closer to the club, be there for games at the start of next season and do more live events. Uh, Going to have another live event in April or May. So more to come and and more to come to build the community that you are uh, very much appreciated for being a part of. So love to you and love to everyone else. Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thank you, pause. Woohoo! Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Tim's on Twitter. Still better. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner, but you can also send me uh, well wishes for recovery in my pneumonia. I'm kidding. Don't do that. Just block me. Uh, it's all good. Everybody love everybody. 
Um, I hope you have a wonderful international break celebrating where we are. We love you, and we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10, Liverpool 0.